0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, March 30th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host Adam Burke. We joined today once again by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Didn't have Brian on last week because we had to wait for the Sweet 16 to be set up. So we had Kyle Hunter on last Tuesday, but we're back to normal here with this Tuesday edition of the show. Over at ATS.io, the 2021 MLB betting guide, you've got two days left until opening day the start of the season coming up here on Thursday, April 1st. Check out that MLB betting guide over at ATS.io. Lots of helpful information to get you ready for the Major League Baseball season and also information that will be relevant as the season goes along, at least in the early part of the campaign. Some of the stats that I use to handicap baseball, a lot of stuff on individual players. It'll help you for those last-minute fantasy drafts as well. So plenty of things going on for you to check out with that MLB betting guide over at ATS.io. That's not all. We cover golf. We cover NHL. We cover NASCAR, UFC, college basketball, NBA, soccer, all those great things over at the website for you to check out as well. And make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration with that. It's also a bet tracker and an odd screen and a stats database lots of bells and whistles to help you handicap, help you keep track of the games that you've picked, and also a premium model subscription available in that if you are interested for $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month, download that ATS app today. Works on both Android and iOS devices, so you can find that in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Joined now today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Lots to talk about on today's program and. Brian, how's it going today, man?
1: All right, Adam, uh, Winding down in the hoops, but as you said, baseball ready to go and the home stretch for hockey, the NBA, NFL drafts coming, Masters is right around the corner, so there's a lot of cool stuff coming up.
0: Yeah, there definitely is, lots of stuff for us to get to on today's show, lots of stuff to talk about down the line here as well, and let's go ahead and start with some immediacy here with the two Elite Eight games coming up on Tuesday night. Uh, We already have Houston and Baylor in one of the final four matchups. We'll find out the other final four matchup after tonight's games. And Brian, let's start with that first one on the board here, the 7:15 Eastern tip-off between USC and Gonzaga. Seeing some USC money here on the board as this line's come down now to eight and a half, pretty much across the market. Total sitting at 153, just about everywhere you look. And I'll say this, you know, I think you can make a case for USC. We did on yesterday's show with Kyle Hunter, but it is very, very difficult to step in front of Gonzaga here. People willing to do it though, here in advance of the game.
1: Well, very briefly, I would just say the Monday night stuff was amazing from the odds makers perspective. Uh, you had Oregon state comes roaring back basically as a tie game with like two to go. And then there's life and death. Like they weren't going to cover the eight and they get the late basket and do indeed cover the eight barely and then the Arkansas Baylor game was flying over the total at halftime they would they score 70 84 points and that was a drum roll in the final 10 seconds 20 seconds to get the total so the odds makers have done a really good job so in that vein I mean you can make a case I believe that the Pac-12 has been amazing and the team that has looked the absolute best in the Pac-12 I think is USC and what does this tell you this number's eight it was nine it's eight and a half now It's just telling you what a monster Gonzaga is I, I think USC their size it's a really interesting matchup. I think Gonzaga numbers are inflated but they really may be that good which to me runs me right to the total i'm I'm gonna sit on the sidelines in terms of the side here and maybe do something in game but I would lean on this game going over the 153 i mean this gonzaga team's in the mid 80s all the time and you know look at usc 85 against kansas 82 against oregon current form the recency of it stands to reason of this is a high scoring game maybe this maybe you know the safer play is the over in the first half if gonzaga gets a big lead and then you know, starts to slow it down in the possessions. I mean, the like the game last night completely changed at halftime. It was it was like an NBA game. Then it turned into a half-court game, the Baylor game. But I, I'm looking for points in the game tonight.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you look at Gonzaga here, and they've been held under 80 points just twice this season. They've scored 90 or more in 15 games. USC, you know, their calling card is largely defense. And, and Andy Enfeld, 10-0 and 0 against the number here in the NCAA tournament in his career – But you do wonder, you know, does USC have the horses to match up with this Gonzaga team? And of course, on the flip side, Gonzaga now playing some teams that they're not really accustomed to playing from a strength standpoint. You know, they play a pretty weak conference schedule in the West Coast Conference. They did play some better teams early on in the year, but teams like Kansas left the NCAA tournament early. Virginia out in the first round. West Virginia out pretty early as well. So even some of the signature wins for this Gonzaga team from early in the year, Iowa being another one, those teams left the tournament very early. So maybe we kind of saw their true colors once they started to step up in class a little bit, or at least play something different here in the tournament. So I guess that's a big question for Gonzaga. And it's kind of an annual question too, when they get to this point of how will they fare playing against fellow top 10 caliber teams?
1: No, there's no doubt. And I think when you look at their run here, and the problem is they were – they're like Florida State, Oklahoma. Before, Oklahoma did beat four top ten teams during the course of the regular season, and they stepped on their neck pretty good. And, I mean, other than the BYU game that they played here in Vegas, they haven't been pushed by anybody. So, I mean, this this is flat out a monster. Be, you've got to give USC full marks for as good as they've looked. And the Pac-12 has you know made a great run to this point. I can't fault anybody that's uh, sitting there, you know, more than willing to take the points. I just think the question is we're still always trying to determine, you know, I I think this year, maybe it's reverse Adam. We're always sitting there and saying, well, Gonzaga, they don't play anybody and how will they stack up against really good teams? And you think, well, you know, they're going to run into something at some point. I think maybe the gray area here is, you know, because they don't play all these good teams, that they may be that good that they'd have just destroyed these teams all year long. I, I, I think this is a unique Gonzaga team.
0: Well, of course, Oregon state covering on Monday night. So the PAC 12, you know, not advancing from that game, but still is finding nine a way and, to cover.
1: Is it nine and one against the spread?
0: I think it's 10 and one now with, one, yeah. uh, with, with Oregon state covering that number. And of course it, it took a fadeaway three, you know, a shot that probably shouldn't have gone in uh, for the Beavers to cover in that one, but they did roar back did put themselves in a position not only to cover, but possibly win the game. So we see this Pac-12 love in that game between USC and Gonzaga. And interestingly enough, we're starting to see it here in this UCLA-Michigan tip in the late game as well, where six and a halfs are popping there at some of the prominent offshore sports books. We're starting to see some of the U.S. books go the route of six and a half as well. Total 136 for this one. But, you know, are people just caught up in this Pac-12 hoopla with the Bruins, or do you feel like they, you know, maybe match up better against Michigan than some people believe?
1: Oh, no. I, I mean, I I don't know that it's a coin flip. I think USC has really, really looked good. But you look what UCLA has done. They've you know, had to play Michigan State, and I think that sent them on their way in the first four game. They beat a good BYU team. The Abilene Christian thing, I think, was – just a mismatch, but Abilene Christian, right, had that huge letdown pulling off the big upset on the first day of the tournament. We'll see who they get. Uh, they, you know, they, 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 Yeah, they beat Texas 53-52, and that was a, you know, they're a defensive pressure kind of team, and they just, UCLA had the horses. That was a mismatch. But I think this team has really shown a propensity for running the, a, a good offense, play above the rim, Showed a lot of fight, and I'm all in on the points here. The one thing is, it's funny. You know, before we started the tournament, we talked about there's going to happen. You know, who's the phony one? You know, we're sitting there, Big 12, this, ACC, uh, the Big 10. And it turns out the Big 12 and the Big 10 were the phony ones. AC was, you know, ACC was down all year, was so so in the tournament. And then the Pac-12 and the SEC were kind of the play-on conferences. Now I'm in. I'm in on UCLA. The the one thing is, everybody poked holes at Michigan. Said they may be the most vulnerable of the ones with the uh, the livers injury, but they've done a great job and they've adapted. I I kind of like UCLA. I take the points. I gotta believe that's a low total. I think maybe the odds makers are onto something here, but I think UCLA is in here with with more than a puncher's chance. I I can see them winning this game.
0: Well, and of course, the one thing about, you know, looking at totals here at this time of the year, and and both of these games kind of in that falling range, as you would expect a lot of them to be in the elite eight and and probably in the final four as well. You know, that's something you have to consider here. You know, if, if you think it's a lower scoring game, perhaps that happens in the first half, as opposed to the full game, with all of the falling at the end and Michigan, a very good free throw shooting team. Livers was the, one of the best during the regular season. They will miss him, but a lot of their guys do shoot very well at the free throw line. So if they are ahead late, this is one that certainly could wind up getting pushed over that total. So you know, we covered a lot on these games uh, with regards to you know, yesterday's show. So I definitely encourage everyone to check that out if you get a chance, but Baylor and Houston here, we know one of the two final four games and as we look at what Circa Sports put up last night, and I haven't seen an updated number for this, I'll pull up the app here in a second. Uh, Baylor minus four, one thirty-two and a half the total. The early look at that Final Four game here between Houston and Baylor, and uh, anything. You look
1: know, look, you look at it. Looking at five, five and one thirty-five. Okay, so a
0: little bit of, of Baylor money coming in, and and also looks like some over money as well.
1: Yeah, it's up to one thirty-six and a half. That's the number over at Win. So. That four and a half, five range uh, total, probably, I guess, the consensus is call 136.
0: So any, anything jump out about that early number for you?
1: Baylor's, listen, done, done their part. I mean, they've, they've looked really good. I, I think they kind of – that game was a weird game with Arkansas. Like I said, it was flying, and then – you get that big lead and you take your foot off the pedal and Arkansas made the push. And it was kind of like an NBA team where, you know, the team makes a run at you. And sometimes in the NBA, they just keep on going. You know, Arkansas made the run. And then when they made the run, I, I, I don't know what Baylor was thinking. Sometimes I think they overthink this stuff. Okay. It was their turn. They made a run, but they were doing perfectly fine playing the up-tempo game. And then they settled in into a half-court game. And they kind of got themselves into a little bit of a pickle. And that could be problematic against a Houston team that is really good in the half court and on defense. So I think they would be playing right into Houston's hands if they, if they played this as a half court game.
0: Yeah, the circuit number here, Baylor minus 5, 135, the total on this one. So there are some differences of opinion out there from some of the books. It will take plenty of time for this line to kind of settle in and mature and again obviously this game not being played until Saturday so plenty of time for this line to be posted for this line to be put up and you know we'll see if we get Gonzaga Michigan battle the number one seeds in the other final four game we'll see if we get an upset in one of these games here on Tuesday night but Brian let's shift gears to a much different kind of sport here one played on ice that's the NHL and you and I were talking before we started recording here that you know as you look at the standings and, and there are some games in hand and some discrepancies based on COVID pauses and and things of that sort here. You know, when you look at the playoff picture in the central division, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida, all at least 11 points clear of the national predators who've actually won five in a row to get themselves, you know, in the hunt here with Chicago. So one playoff spot up for grabs in the central in the East division, Boston's only played 31 games. That's fewer than anybody else in the division. Looks like all four playoff spots, could very well be decided in the East very early on with Washington, the Islanders, the Penguins, and the Bruins. We'll talk about the other two divisions here in a second. But, you know, look, as I said, it looks to me like seven of the eight playoff spots between the Central and the East pretty much decided already. Will that impact your handicapping as we go forward?
1: Um, nah, yeah. Yes and no, because all these other teams – there, because there are so many other teams that are out of it too. I mean, you'd, you'd adapt and say um, and see what they're doing in terms of the taxi squads. Are some teams, if they're hopelessly out of it, are they going to be playing some of the guys on the taxi squad? The, the other thing is the trade deadline's coming up April 12th, and the Canadian government just knocked the quarantine down from 14 days down to seven days. So that means the Canadian teams are now probably willing to. To make a deal with an American based team, which looked like it was not gonna happen. And five minutes after they did that, Buffalo sent Eric Stahl to Montreal. So I think trades could happen this week leading up to the trade deadline. Because if you're a Canadian team, you want to get a guy in as fast as you can. You don't want to get him up there at the deadline and then stick him in a hotel room for a week. Then he's gotta get he's gotta a, know the learn the team, B get back up to playing speed. So I think The deadline may be April 12th, but specifically, I would think some of the Canadian teams, if they're going to be making deals, these deals are going to happen very soon.
0: You know, what I think will be interesting is is when the playoff teams go up against each other, you know, where they're jockeying for seating, jockeying for position. We've seen Tampa Bay and Carolina. You have some very spirited head-to-head affairs. Florida, of course, in that mix as well. Although that Aaron Eckblad injury was not only gruesome and ugly, but it's certainly going to be a massive hit. For the Florida Panthers who aren't in danger of missing the playoffs or anything like that but they will have to sort of shuffle things around in the East Division you know Boston's got a little bit of ground to make up with those games in hand but Pittsburgh's played through a lot of issues and injuries and they've been just fine the Islanders are a really interesting team to me because they are 13-1 and 2 at home they are 9-9 and 2 on the road so, one of the largest home road discrepancies in the NHL this season, if not the largest, belongs here to the New York Islanders. And the Capitals have been good pretty much everywhere that they've played. But, you know, I think games against those competitive teams will kind of get, you know, some of those playoff types of feelings going. Whereas I do wonder if these teams squander away some points opportunities against lesser competition.
1: Well, the one thing is what looks etched in stone today. You still have in the neighborhood of 22-23 games left. The thing that's weird is the only playing games within the division, and you sit there and you look at the points today, like, okay, Boston's in fourth place. that They're 11 points behind the Capitals. Well, you got to look at everybody's schedule and say, well, who have you played? Washington's basically run their course and played Buffalo. Boston still has six games remaining in Buffalo, against Buffalo. So in all these divisions, you got to look. St. Louis is the one that I believe has a real problem on their hands. They're currently sitting in fourth in the West Division. And is a team that's just underachieving mightily. And they're on a skid. And it's not because they're on a skid, but they, to enhance the problem, they've lost four in a row. But at the end of the year, or the remainder of the games, they've played 35 games. So they've got 21 games left. And I'm close, if maybe not exact. But I think they've got to play seven games with Minnesota and six games with Colorado and Vegas. So, so you know what I mean? It's like Vegas is maybe a good team. Colorado, a really good team. Colorado, a really good team. Well, they've cycled through, and they've played the Ducks and the Sharks and Arizona. But St. St. Louis, as bad as they are right now, and they're sitting in fourth, They've now got to play the the meat of of their schedule in the second half. So every division, the standings don't, you know, look at it and go, oh, this is etched in stone, because a lot of these standings and the points that have been accrued, it's all based on who you've played so far. And it's not like they're playing a handful of games. They're, They're playing six, eight games against a weaker foe or a really strong foe.
0: Yeah, St. Louis here, looking at the composition of the rest of their schedule, they've got six left against Colorado, two of them in Denver, four of them are at home. Seven left with Minnesota, including four in a row from April 26 to May 1st. They've got four with Vegas, two at home, two on the road. They play at Arizona, at Los Angeles, and two games at home against Anaheim. So yeah, their schedule definitely looks like quite a bear. And, and maybe if you can find out there, you know, Blues to make the playoffs, a yes, no prop, something like that. I mean, I don't know if it's Arizona or, or Los Angeles or somebody that steps up and knocks them out, but with that daunting schedule, I think St. Louis know to make the playoffs isn't a bad bet if you can find it somewhere.
1: Yeah, well, and it depends. You know, is Arizona a dumpster fire? Are they going to be a seller at the deadline? Probably more likely than being a buyer. The Kings do have two in hand on the Blues, and they're five back, so – it, it again, a lot will be determined here by the trade deadline and who decides to go for it. And the problem is, too, is that this year you've got the expansion draft. So teams are going to have to lose a good player to Seattle. So if a, a team has two really good young players or two guys are going to expose the list of 10. But they look at the list and go, well, definitely Seattle's taking one of these two guys then a the team's going to be prone to trade one of the two and get something at least for them, you know? So the trade deadline really could have an impact on, on what the mindset is. And then the draft is a weak draft and anybody that's looking to make deals and saying they want a first round pick for a guy, everybody's talking about a 2022 first rounder because the scouts haven't been out scouting the games and the leagues, the junior leagues have played so few games. So what normally are valuable assets and they know what this is worth and it helps structure deals in a salary cap era. Yeah. Trades are going to happen, but it's these guys are all trying to figure out what is the actual landscape of the playing field.
0: Well, and something else I think is really interesting too. You know, I know that you don't really do too much in terms of looking at the futures market until the trade deadline has passed and teams sort of, you know, settle in with what they're going to have for the stretch run and all of that. But as we just talked about, and even if you look in the North division here, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, pretty far ahead of everybody. Montreal did have that COVID pause. They have games in hand. But it looks like those are your four playoff teams in the North Division in all likelihood. Calgary struggling. Vancouver has kind of struggled throughout most of the year. And then Ottawa, of course, just a year or two away. But there is significant incentive to win your division with the way that things are shaking out here. Because you look in the Central Division – One of Carolina or Florida will be out after the first round. One of the Islanders or the Penguins will be out after the first round or possibly Boston, depending on how that East division falls, especially in the West. you know, If you can avoid playing Colorado or Minnesota or Vegas and get the number four seed out of the West, that is huge for you. So there is significant incentive to win your division here, particularly in that West division. So if you're looking at the futures market at this point in time, Keep that in mind for sure.
1: Well, the, actually, yes. The, the 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 bigger thing in that regard is like if if Minnesota were to finish fourth, Minnesota actually plays very very well. They've almost been kryptonite for Vegas. So sometimes those things. Be careful what you wish for. The, the I think the real motivation for these teams, you know, Toronto, Vegas, Colorado, I mean Winnipeg's right there now. So is Edmonton. But the the real motivation is to rack up as many points, yes, win the division. But what you want to uh, do uh, do is at all costs, you want to avoid either Tampa or Carolina. I mean, you you would rather play, you know, if if you're Vegas, you would love to play the Leafs or the Jets or, 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 or the Caps or the Islanders. You know what I mean? You want to avoid Tampa Bay at all costs because it's not an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference. So... They're not only looking at the standings in the division because they're going to recede. You know, when they get to the final four, it's going to be based on regular season points. So it's avoiding Tampa Bay is the real true motivator, I believe. The one thing I would say from a futures perspective, uh, my pick before the season was Colorado and Carolina in the, in the cup final. You know, I'll stick with that. If Colorado stays healthy, it'd be interesting to see what Colorado and Vegas, what these guys do at the trade deadline. And Carolina, if they can get by Tampa, and there was a big game the other night and Carolina got the win, they had to prove to themselves, you know, that they can beat Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay had kind of owned them, but Carolina's maybe leveling off the playoff. field. The goaltending's a little sketchy, but man alive. 12 to 1, that's that's the best price that's available on a team to win the cup. Uh, Everybody else in that 6 to 1 range. Uh, Don't sleep on Carolina. This is a really good hockey team.
0: One other thing I want to ask you about on the NHL side, because I thought it was interesting what you said when we were talking before the show, is that you feel like a lot of teams are bored. A lot of teams in the NHL here kind of just getting bored with seeing the same teams, the same faces over and over again. We kind of thought that it would breed maybe some sort of rivalry, some sort of bad blood, uh, something along those lines, but – to you, it just seems like uh, some teams are just going through the motions, kind of getting bored with with this whole bubbled not bubbled, but you know heavily restricted
1: season. Well, I'm bored. I mean, I'm bored watching it. It's my my favorite thing. Now, I mean, I'm watching it and I'm into it because the betting opportunities are plentiful. But in terms of just you know sitting down and it used to be must see TV, whether you had a bet on it or not, Calgary plays Edmonton, the Battle of Alberta. And the first couple of times these guys played, it was like, you know, it was like a Bantamite game. They, they I think the first half of the season, they were all in this, like, we're going through the, this COVID thing together. And it was almost like it was like a beer league stuff. Like, you know, we'd go have beers with you after the game. I, the true hate just wasn't there. You thought, oh, my God, this the Yanks, it's going to be awesome. And I think the bottom line is, I think they miss playing all the other teams around the league and they're sitting there going, oh, mother of God, we got to play these guys again. We've already played them six times. And instead of the hate being built up, I think boredom is kind of kicked in. And now in the home stretch, there's only a handful of battles for the, to, to get in, like you alluded to. You know, some of those games are going to have some raucous intensity. I think the games will tighten up because the coaches will want to start implementing their Stanley Cup style of play where things just normally ratchet down and become more defensive in posture. I think that sort of stuff will start to happen. But, I mean, I'm bored watching it. I'm, I, I, so, I, and I'm all in on this. I love this. I think the players are bored. I mean, and when you're on the road, you have to go back to your room go to the rink go to the room go to the r- room back to the rink and you can't hang out with anybody every are all these guys are kind of on their own a lot of the angles that we came up with have been really really successful this year and that's a mentally on a long road trip fade teams on the back end of a long road trip because they are just they are cooked they are they have mentally checked out and the last game of a long road trip they go to the rink their head is already on the bus to the airport after the game before they even take the ice for the warm-ups so I mean, there are betting angles that have cropped up because of it, but it is a very odd season.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And again, I mean, we've seen some extended road trips, to say the least—six game, seven game, eight game types of road trip stuff. Where, yeah, it's just it's it's very hard to remain engaged, especially if you know you guys dread going out on the road because you can't do anything. You know, you just nobody. I would just ahead. say,
1: to you, but it's not a level playing field either. It's patently not unfair it's it is what it is but the guy the teams in the north the canadian teams these guys are traveling around like it's a regular nhl season I And mean, they're flying cross country for all these games in fact flying cross country in longer trips than they normally would when the teams in the west and the east and the central have these 45 minute one hour hops to go play on the road the teams in the north i mean Ottawa, Toronto, up, got to go to Vancouver, up, got to go to Calgary, up, now you got to go to Winnipeg. The travel is just patently unfair to what's going on with the teams in the north, and then factor this in, that if the border remains closed, the the Canadian representative who comes out of that division is likely going to be playing in the playoffs on the road, and then their home games are likely going to be played at a neutral site. They're not going to be able to stage home games in Canada. So, uh, you know, picking a Canadian representative, they haven't won a cup since 1993 for starters, but now you're really making it a tall task. The one one thing you get is you're guaranteed to get one of them in the final four. But when that time comes, they're going to be literally in a hotel room by the time it would be all said and done if they were going to go win the cup. They would be on the road in a hotel room for a month.
0: Well, and to that end, the last question I'll ask you here is, you know, we were kind of following it very early on in the season that home teams were doing very, very well. Everyone was trying to get accustomed to this new life on the road and all these restrictions and all that. And home teams got off to a very, very good start. Then it kind of leveled off a little bit in the middle. So I guess, Brian, my question to you with, you know, a lot of these teams having 20 to 25 games left to go, do you think that home teams just become dominant late in the year here where teams just. Have no interest being on the road. They're just over it. They're just done with it. Do you feel like you know we see a lot of a lot of home team bias late in the year, where those teams just just keep racking up points?
1: No, I'd go the other way. I I, I think the road teams will actually do much better on the back end. I because I think the level of intensity is going to finally appear. We're getting close to the playoffs. I think they've just been all going through the motions. I really do, but I think as the playoffs get close and as standings uh get tight I, I i would actually i would look for the road teams to start to fare better. Like Vegas is 14-2-1 at home. They're 6-0 oh, since fans started to show up with 3000 fans at the game. There are going to be days here when, you know, Colorado comes in here or Minnesota comes in here and, and then you know, they're going to start winning games at T-Mobile Arena. And I I would think that those kind of scenarios would be out there you know, around the league. I, I I think the intensity has to pick up at some point. I'm not saying they're gonna flip a switch, but I do think it's gonna I think the boredom aspect of it, the, that quotient's gonna go away a little bit. No NASCAR
0: race this weekend. They're taking the Easter holiday off here coming up on Sunday. But real quickly, uh, you know, yesterday we saw the, the Bristol dirt race and it was every bit of a crapshoot as as we kind of figured, I think. Drivers with very, very poor visibility, obviously the race pushed back a day because uh, it rained on Sunday, and they didn't have the track ready or anything like that. But I don't know what did you uh, what did you think of the experiment overall?
1: Scrap it, okay. Scrap it. It was awful. I, and then by the by the end of the race, it, first of all, just getting there, you, you couldn't see half of what was going on. The drivers couldn't see what was going on. And then, if you notice, by the, the back half of the race the The middle portion of the track was not a dirt track; it was asphalt. So it was a mix of asphalt and dirt. Um Okay, it was novel. You tried it. I don't know. You tell me. I for me, I I was all fired up, and then I'm like, I won't say it was a letdown. It was. It was just. It was odd. So uh, you know, Bristol's just a fun race to begin with. So that that made it pretty pretty doggone quirky to me. And then the other thing that was. I guess I, and I didn't see the reason why, but literally all the, all the stuff in the pits, every time they came into pits, it was like a red flag. So wherever you came in, you came out. It was kind of weird. So the, 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 race inside on the pit boxes was nothing.
0: Yeah, it was, it was definitely strange and, you know, not a whole lot of positive feedback overall. I think the drivers, you know, really complimented their teams well after the races, but you know, it it was something that, that didn't really seem to work out and Joey Logano wins. And we've had seven races here so far. And remember 16 drivers make the playoffs, seven races, seven race winners already. So, you know, this is getting to be pretty interesting here for some of these guys that don't have a win guys that will need a win in order to get in the usual suspects are all up there near the top as far as the points chase goes. But, you know, if you don't have a win, and 16 drivers have a win, you don't get into the playoffs regardless of what your point total is. So it's going to be really interesting to see how aggressive some of these teams are here. You got Martinsville coming up in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about that one on next week's show. Then Richmond, Talladega, Kansas, and then you got a bunch of road courses and stuff. You got back-to-back at Pocono. I mean, look, if NASCAR wanted to create chaos and drama and intrigue in the playoff picture, that has very much happened here. It's been successful in that regard.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm just trying to think that when they get back here, maybe one of the biggest stories of the year is something that has hasn't happened, and that's been Kevin Harvick being competitive. And you know, th- th- can he write the ship because he was a dominant force last year? And you know, some of these young guys are driving really well. And you tell me, doesn't it seem like they're the same kind of cast of characters? Larson and Blaney seem to have a really good car every week. And then there are some weeks where, uh, you know, Hamlin, Harvick has been bad from day one. The cool thing about it, though, it seems like the playing field has leveled to a degree that they're not the same two dominant cars every week. It could be upwards of 10 guys that this could be their week, which I think from a betting perspective is really a good thing. So I think from a betting perspective, it's a tough thing just
0: because, you know, now you've got a lot of different options and and eventually, you know, like I said, with seven different winners here and and who knows, maybe we'll get an eighth different winner at Martinsville. It just depresses the market for everybody in the sense that you get a win and then you're going to wind up with nine or 10 guys between five to one and nine to one. And then, you know, you'll have that second tier of guys that probably won't win, but will be at those tantalizing prices. I think it's been, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why we we harp a lot on matchup stuff too and and why that's probably a better way to go, especially at this point in time where, you know, we still have some guys winning races that you never would have expected to get one.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's been interesting. I mean, I I look forward to the back half of the season. I I love the restrictor plate races. Talladega will be looking forward to that one. But again, I just would say anyone that's considering, you know, betting on NASCAR, and I... I would say I'm. I've been late to the party, but in the last three, three years, I've really gotten into it. I look forward to every race, and just do a lot more studying and just have a database in my head of stuff that's going on. But the opportunities that exist, not just for the guy that wins the race, but for matchups. I mean, there would be many races. I'm sitting there, and you know they're showing the cars going around at the, at the front, and my eyes are glued to the the running list of where the drivers stand in, in the fractions they're behind, because my big bet is the battle for 10th and 11th.
0: All right. So let's go over to the PGA tour side of things here, where uh, Dustin Johnson has withdrawn from the Valero, Texas open posted both of my previews, one at ATS.io and one at BangTheBook.com on Monday. Both of those did have DJ written in them, made a quick editor's note that DJ has withdrawn from this tournament and Look, I mean, this is not a good field. I mean, this is a poor field for this event. The Masters next week, the way the schedule's kind of shaken out with WGC events and invitational tournaments and, you know, the players and all of that, you know, guys just trying to get a week off here before they go to Augusta National. Some guys that are not looking for a week off here. Jordan Spieth, your 11-1 to favorite, Tony Finau, 12-1, to Scotty Scheffler, 14 Hideki Matsuyama, 18. These numbers coming from BetMGM Sportsbook. Abraham Anser and Corey Connors, both 20 to 1. Connors, the reigning champion here from back in 2019. But then, Brian, you run into guys like Ryan Palmer and Siwoo Kim and Cameron Tringale and Charlie Hoffman, Brandon Steele, uh, Chris Kirk, Zach Johnson, a two-time winner here. These guys in this 20 to 40 to 1 range that are regularly 75, 80, 90 to 1, in a regular strength field.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. And, and I could real quick. I just, I got to come back and say the masters is my favorite sporting event of the year. The Stanley cup playoffs is number two. And I got to tell you the match play, the WGC match play event is my, it's right there. Number three, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, the matchups, it was amazing. I, killed it on Wednesday and Thursday was set up beautifully from a future perspective in the quadrants with the bracket and it was kind of a cataclysmic Friday Sergio went away uh, you know had some nice long shots but had such a wonderful Thursday and Friday or Wednesday and Thursday and then on Sunday in the final matches got out with I played a parlay then hooked up uh, Horschel with Kucher after watching them play. You know, play in the morning. So I, I just think that is such a wonderful event. I wish they could find a way to add a second one of those. I that that is such a special event. As for this one, it's the look ahead spot to the Masters. That's you know, DJ's like why I'm gonna, you know, I I think DJ just went went to Cancun or something just to make sure he avoids Kevin Na for an extra week. Um just, <laughs> But. You know they're all looking ahead to the Masters, but there are guys. The one thing that when you say what's on the line here uh, is the final opportunity to get punch your ticket for an invite. It was, and again, what does the past mean? But fond memories. Uh, the the one the one year it was maybe one of the best things I ever did was I had Ian Poulter, who had played great in the match play the week before. And, he, and, he, he, and the whole talk of him at, at the match play was he wanted to get into the Masters. And I don't know if he made it to the semis or the finals. I think he made it to the semis. So then they come to this thing then he's 80 to one. So I bet him at 80 to one, he shoots like a 73 on Thursday. He came back and shot a 64 on Friday and he was 60 to one on the weekend. I bet him again, at 60 to one coming in. Uh, if you remember that where he, 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 I think he birdied 18 to force a playoff and then one. So Look for guys that aren't in the Masters. Your your buddy isn't he the guy you root for? F- Ricky Fowler, Fowler's not in the Masters. Fowler has to win this to get into the Masters. I mean, and it's not it's not the greatest field, and his you know his his form's nothing special. But don't forget that nugget that's out there.
0: Yeah, you know, Fowler, definitely one of them, seeing him here at 80-1. to The current form is so bad, I don't think I can do it. But there's another guy at 80-1 to in Adam Hadwin who needs to win this in order to get into the Masters. And that's a guy who's plenty capable, I think, of emerging from this field. Uh, Brant Snedeker, Jim Furyk, Nick Taylor, a few other guys that uh, you may want to keep an eye on here because they need to win in order to get that Masters invite. TPC San Antonio, par 72, 7,500 yards. Corey Connors winning this thing in 2019 tells you that it's a ball strikers course and you probably don't have to be a great putter because Connors is not a good putter at all. So maybe that's something that you want to take a look at here for this one, but again, not, not a great field. Not a lot of guys in good recent form either, because they either haven't been playing tournaments because they don't qualify for the WGC or the invitationals, or they're just not great players playing on very difficult courses and difficult formats so we don't have a lot of great recent form coming into this
1: one. Any so, guy you have played? Yeah, I mean, don't forget it's the winds of Texas, and we saw the winds really blow up on the weekend in the match play. Uh, Speeds twelve to one. You know, Texas guy playing great. He's been on the leaderboard every week. Yeah, you know, can't can't blame it twelve to one. Scheffler, sixteen to one. Boy, I'm telling you, I've been saying for weeks, Scottie Scheffler is going to win. And I'd have been sick to my stomach had he won that thing and I was on the sidelines with him. Uh, but I think that might have exacted a toll on him. He got to be worn down coming into this thing. Finau can't kick the door down. I gave you some guys that maybe he could be worn down, or his form had been so bad, but now he's rejuvenated. Coochers at 60 to 1. Martin Laird at 125 to 1. This is a kind of event of Martin Laird shows up. Sebastian Munoz has been really weird he had great rounds and then always one bad one but he's much better than 80 to one but I, I'll tell you the guy with the wind and I thought about him I know we had talked about it maybe it was the last podcast we did I forget which which uh, tournament it was on the Florida swing right mentioned uh, Zach Johnson to you and Johnson was contending he was he was on the first page of the leaderboard into the weekend low driving ball flight and the winds here in this kind of field I think 55 to one's more than a fair price for a guy like Zach Johnson
0: yeah Zach Johnson again, yeah, you know two-time winner of this event in the past throw on a couple of names I mentioned Hadwin at 80 to 1 I, I do like him and like I said he's got plenty of incentive here trying to get that master's invite when you look at ball strikers in this tournament Keegan Bradley is 50 to 1 he's 8th in strokes gained T to green this year and 6th in strokes gained approach both of those numbers now the best in the field. Now that Dustin Johnson is not in it, so Keegan Bradley at fifty to one. Not a bad play from a statistical standpoint here. I think he's a guy that's pretty interesting. Um, if, if I knew that Joel Damon
1: wasn't was hungover s- going into I w- Thursday, I was just going to bring him up. That he'd
0: be interesting.
1: I listen. Current form, guys got to win. Nobody paid an ounce of attention to it. You know uh, if if. And the form cycle for these guys is it's hard to win back to back weeks. And that maybe that's the rub, what you're saying right there. But I mean, I mean, we would we see pull this kind of stunt off uh, last year, played one of the one of the wacko tournaments and came and won a main one. I think it was Brendan Todd, wasn't it? One back to back weeks.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, a Damon is not a throwout. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I like think I said, I just I'm concerned how much abuse his liver took. Uh, and that, yeah. in that alternate event over the weekend. And of course, you know, the travel and, and all that kind of thing. One other name I was kind of looking at here and he was there, you know, in the final groups for the players championship. And, and that final round was visibly painful. And he wound up missing the cut in the Honda classic the week after Doug Gimm at 80 to one, again, you talk about ball strikers in this field and there aren't a ton of them. He had to have learned from that experience. This is probably going to be an easier course. You know, a lot less pressure playing around the guys that he was playing around, you know, in those final rounds of the players. But at 80 to 1 for a player like Doug Gim, I mean, these are the kinds of events that, you know, maybe a guy gets his maiden win. It's either going to be some, you know, also ran veteran guy or some young dude who gets that first win, I think. And maybe Gim at 80 to 1 is not that bad of a look.
1: You know what? Honestly, is this crazy? Phil's in this thing. Phil is in this thing. He's 110 to 1, and you know that older guys can compete at the Masters if you're in good form. The putter's working, and you've got the knowledge of of the course. And he's trying, you've got to believe, um, the senior tour mixed in there. Actually, he was pretty competitive in the one main event a few weeks back. Maybe Phil's not a crazy guy trying to really – peak at the right time for the masters and who's to say it doesn't happen the week before here at 110 to one I mean you yourself said it's not the greatest field in the world no it's it's a bad
0: field and and that's why you know even though he's in really poor form a guy like Gary Woodland at 80 to one in a field like this I mean he's not playing well at all don't get me wrong I mean if, if you're looking for recent form guys Gary Woodland is not on the list but in a field like this where Woodland used to be 80 to one in, in major fields or, you know, uh FedEx cup events or something like that. He's 80 to one with this group. I mean, I don't know if he wins the thing, but I mean, there are far worse bets you could make. Yeah. I think at 80 to one here,
1: I know we've thrown a lot of guys out there, but there's one, a guy that I do play a lot in matchups and things of that nature. And at least mention him. 70 to one on Sep Straka. I mean, he, you know he's he's a guy that is capable of going low this is a kind of a wacko one I think maybe you swing for a couple of long shots on the front end but really set yourself up on Friday night you know before moving day and and take a look at what's lying there for you that's you're within five six shots of the lead yeah
0: and I think this is one of those kinds of tournaments where we will throw out a bunch of different names because Anybody could really win this thing, you know. I mean, it, there, I don't think there's any equity in betting any of the guys that are really under thirty to one here in this. You know, it's Speed. Yeah. yeah, he's fine. He's playing well, but why the hell would I want to bet Jordan Spieth at eleven to one? I mean, well, the,
1: for the summation of it, I mean, we mentioned a lot of names. I mean, I'm definitely playing Zach Johnson. I've been sniffing around Munoz for a while. I'll kick myself if he. I'll say Munoz, and just because it was a late mention there. Um, i 'll throw Stra- key. in so i 'll give you a th- let's call it a three pack the guys i 'll do on the front end that is Zach Johnson would be my top play
0: yeah, I like Keegan Bradley like I said hadwin's another one on the list for me those are, are two of the guys that i 'm definitely taking a look at here for this weekend. One last thing I want to mention here on today 's show and and i'm not going to throw this at you in deep detail or anything like that, but three big events here in the road to the Kentucky Derby coming up on Saturday. The Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland, the Santa Anita Derby, obviously at Santa Anita, then the Wood Memorial at Aqueduct. And with everything going on here, I know you're a horse racing guy, but it's been hard to to keep up with what's happening with the road to the Kentucky Derby. You mentioned it to me out of sight, out of mind, but I just want to plant some seeds in some listeners' minds here that these are three really big prep races for the Derby. So, If you get a chance to follow these, I know the Sweet 16, or the, uh, excuse me, the Final Four is going on on Saturday. If you get a chance to follow these, I mean, these are three really important events for the Derby.
1: Yeah, the first and second runners in these three races are going to be in the starting gate of the Kentucky Derby. And I got to tell you that this is probably a year I've played the least amount of horses I've, I've played ever. And there's just a weird thing going on out here in Vegas. It's driving us all nuts where they've had contract disputes where... We've had a whole spring even even last summer when nothing was going on but horse racing they're not taking Churchill they're not taking Oaklawn you can't bet on fairgrounds it's almost that you know you're sitting there playing races at Mahoning Valley so in terms of the big picture I've kind of been on the shelf of it because have the damn races you can't bet
0: yeah that's interesting I, I guess maybe that's because you know like Oaklawn and and Church. well not Churchill Downs specifically but Churchill Downs incorporated. You know, with the Twin Spire sports book and all of that, uh, I, I guess maybe that's the reason why. Because you know those operators aren't really up well, and Churchill running. Dan-
1: in no, Churchill Downs is in charge, controls the signal for Fairgrounds, Oakland, and Churchill, and sure. they're just at this contractual impasse. And as always, the player loses. Right.
0: Yeah. No. That's
1: that's definitely tough. So we'll see what happens here with these. I think Brian may do
0: a video for us over on our ATS YouTube page with one of those races here for this week to go along with the golf preview and some stuff on the two Final Four games. But as always, man, we covered a lot of ground here on today's show, and and you cover a lot of ground with all the shows that you've got going on.
1: Yeah, no, busy, busy time, and I'm on Sportsbook Radio from 2 to 4 Eastern on Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius Channel 204. A second hours on in KSHP in Las Vegas, and then we do Vegas Hockey Hotline on KSHP. There's a listen live function there at KSHP.com. Adam will join me Thursday this week uh, on that program, but we get the sports book directors all around Vegas and wonderful guys like Adam and our friends on the other side of the counter. So do it with Stevie Slapshot, our good buddy. We have a lot of fun. And pretty much everything that's out there, we do the Hockey Betting Podcast. You can check that out, the hockeybettingpodcast.ca. I do that with Cam Stewart, which is a lot of fun, and really dive into the the betting. Um, we do that three times a week uh, to get you legged up for the menus that are offered in the NHL. So, I invite you to check that out. But everything's on my Twitter at Brian Blessing.
0: Make sure you follow Brian on Twitter, as he said at Brian Blessing. Again, keep an eye out for those YouTube videos here on our ATS YouTube page uh, later on this week. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you again next week.
1: All right, Adam, it's a good time of year. We'll have a lot of good stuff, and good luck with the uh, MLB betting guide. I know you'll be drooling for the start of baseball, so that's cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I'll be joining Brian on Thursday, as he said, while some of that opening day action is going on. Coming up on our Wednesday edition of the show, we'll chat with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers about the Final Four and the National Championship game. Uh, Should be a good segment there with him. Thursday, we'll talk Final Four Natty with Brad Powers. We'll also talk some FCS and FBS college football on that segment and then friday this week i'll do the betters box again as i mentioned last full week of shows here going forward we'll do monday tuesday thursday Uh, monday next week national championship and some baseball with kyle hunter tuesday brian blessing will continue to join me thursday the betters box and then after that monday thursday betters box tuesdays with brian talking all kinds of different stuff including golf so that'll be our format here going forward on ats radio That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. With Lucky Land Slots, you
1: can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to...
0: Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.